Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Here we are, folks. Episode Lucky 13. I have an incredible show lined up for you guys. And I'm a day late. So what do you say we cut the crap and get started? We kick things off tonight in the state of Montana. Where we hear about a creature that we may have touched on in the past. This is Crystal's call. Hi, Derek. My name is Crystal. I'm actually calling about something that my dad saw about Missoula, Montana area up in the mountains. He said it was nighttime. I know he liked to drive. He was a truck driver and he liked to drive during the night. And so probably... I don't know, maybe 11 or 12 o'clock at night. And he said he was going through the mountains, beautiful area. And he saw a black figure ahead of his truck. And he doesn't believe in any of this stuff. He said he he slowed down really slow. And he ended up coming to a stop. And he said it was the blackest wolf he had ever seen. He said the eyes were glowing. And he said that it stood above the height of his semi-truck, the front of it. He said he sat there and looked at it for a minute, and then it ran away across the road. He said he's never seen anything like that before. He described it as blacker than anything else around him. And this is the middle of the mountains, Missoula, Montana, you know, at midnight. So that's pretty dark. Just thought it was a really cool story to hear. I still think about that from time to time. Thank you. Thank you, Crystal. Big sky country. Strange wolves in those parts only point to one thing, the Shunkawarakan. I've touched on this canid cryptid a few seasons back, but essentially in 1896, a Montana rancher shot and killed a strange beast that resembled a wolf, but looked too strange to be one. Now as luck would have it, the body of the creature was actually preserved in the taxidermied specimen, thought to be the Native American legend of the Shunkawarakan, or otherwise known as the one that carries off dogs. The specimen can still be seen at the Madison Valley Historical Museum in the state of Montana. But you might be surprised to know that this particular creature, the one later known as Ringdocious, is not the only presumed Shunkawarakan to be shot in Montana. In December of 2005, a strange wolf-like animal began killing livestock in the McCone, Garfield, and Dawson counties of Montana. By October of 2006, the animal, now known as the creature of Macomb County, had killed more than 120 various forms of livestock 
and appeared in several news articles, including one in the May 2006 issue of the USA Today. On November 2, 2006, the Montana Wildlife Service shot and killed a creature that may have been responsible for these killings. And in May of 2018, it happened again. The following from KRTV, News 3 out of Great Falls, Montana, has more information. An animal shot by a rancher near Denton earlier this month has wildlife experts and the public alike wondering exactly what it is. This large wolf-like animal was shot and killed May 16th. According to Montana Fish, Wildlife and Parks, the animal came within several hundred yards of the rancher's livestock. He shot it and reported it as required by law. FWP says the animal is a young female and a canid, which is a member of the dog family like foxes, coyotes and wolves. FWP wolf specialists looked at photos of the animal and doubt it's a purebred wolf. The carcass is being sent to an FWP lab in Bozeman where tissue samples will be collected and then on to a lab in Oregon. And although it seems like this kind of thing never happens, those DNA results actually came back. A strange animal shot and killed in the Montana wilderness. And people have been throwing out crazy theories for a month now. Is it a werewolf, a Bigfoot, all Ooh. kinds of funky ideas? But today, DNA test results disappointed everyone. That's right. It turns out it's actually a gray wolf from the oh. northern Rocky Mountains. Officials with the uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service says people were thrown off by the animal's unusual small feet and bare ears. Wow. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I didn't know what it was either. That clip comes courtesy of Eleven Alive out of Atlanta. And as if that news wasn't bad enough. Remember the specimen killed in 2006? Well, the DNA results from that carcass came back as well. Full-bred Northern Rockies wolf. Apparently, it just had a few strange colors mixed into its coat. So was the Shunka Warakan just another strange-looking wolf? Or was there perhaps something more hair-raising going on in Big Sky Country? Thanks again, Crystal, for sharing. I absolutely love stories like these. Now, it's extremely rare that we actually get a definitive answer when it comes to questions regarding the paranormal. Not only did we get it with the Montana wolves, but also with our next submitter. This call was submitted anonymously. Hey Derek, I got a quick story for you here. So I was about 10 years old and my parents had just gotten back from Mexico and they brought in, in the little uh, gifts and toys and whatnot for all the kids. And uh, the gift they had given to me was uh, this kind of demonic looking little mask that, you know, my dad had some crazy backstory about buying it at some weird stall or something like that. And so I take it and I bring it up to my bedroom and hanging on the wall, which ended up being a mistake as I'm just the whole night terrified of this thing, can't get my eyes off of it. Eventually I fall asleep, wake up in the morning, and of course the first thing I do, I run over, grab this uh, demonic mask off of the wall, run outside, and throw it in the trash. So, alright, it's done, not part of my life anymore. Go outside, meet up with some friends, playing all day, having a blast, don't don't even think about the mask the whole day. Get home later that night, you know, maybe eat dinner and whatever, get ready for bed, and walk into my bedroom, and my bed is made perfectly, which it's never made, and sitting 
on the pillow is this devil mask. Absolutely horrifying. I remember I grabbed the thing, I run outside, or and to get outside to the garbage can, you gotta go through the garage. So I get in the garage, grab this hammer, and just bust the thing, break it to pieces, throw it in the garbage. All right, we'll flash forward about 20 years, and my family, now adults, many of us are married and got kids, and we, we rent a cabin uh, up in the northern part of the United States, and the kids of all, all of our kids now have gone to bed, and all my, my brothers and sisters and their significant others were all sitting outside at a fire, and we get to telling stories, and scary stories, things that have, we've experienced in our lives. And I, I start to tell this story about this devil mask and how it, you know, magically appeared back in my room after I threw it away. And while I'm telling it, my uh, my sister starts laughing hysterically, just losing control. Well, it turns out that in her one act of kindness to me in my entire life, my sister had gone outside that morning to throw something away and saw the devil mask in the garbage and knowing that it was a gift to me, had gone up to my bedroom made the bed, put the devil mask on the uh, on my pillow for me. So, not a paranormal story at all, but I figure if you need something for uh, for April Fools, well, there you go. I love the podcast. It's awesome. Thanks. Thank you, caller. I guess that's one story that we don't have to debate. I really enjoy the idea of an accidental practical joke. Seems that's exactly what the sister ended up doing. Now it makes me wonder how many other stories from our childhood sort of have these explainable origins. Thank you again for sharing that call. Now moving right along, our next tale takes us to the Tar Heel State. This is John's call from the state of North Carolina. Hey, this is John from North Carolina. I live in the uh, Piedmont region. This happened a couple of years ago. It was at night, standing out in my driveway watching the sky, as I often do, because I'm intrigued by planes and that sort of thing, but saw something very strange. So looking up into a clear night sky, I saw what appeared to be a plane, I would say about the size of a, probably a Lear jet, but the thing was, is the wings wore, were uh, attached to the rear of the plane. And it was moving probably about the speed of, say, what a blimp would. So just kind of gliding very slowly. To the rear were two, I would say, upright, rectangular-shaped white lights. Made no noise, but it was just slowly gliding across the sky. I thought that was kind of strange, so it tempted me to, of course, keep watching the night skies. I'm standing out in my driveway, so a couple weeks later, I happened to be looking off towards uh, the western sky and saw what appeared to be the taillights of a car as if they would be going through, say, a, a, a fog bank. It was the taillights of a car. The problem being, that couldn't really happen because this was probably several hundred feet in the middle of the sky. 
So that's my story. I, I do have a few more to share later on down the road. But, uh, yeah, if you have any input, I would love to hear it. And if anybody else has uh, seen or experienced anything like that, I would love to hear about it. But uh, enjoy what you're doing. Love the podcast. And uh, keeps me company on my way home from night at work. So uh, thank you. And keep up the good work. Bye. Thanks, John. Now, as it turns out, I've actually witnessed something very similar. I was playing in a JV football game in central Ohio in the mid-90s when some of us on the team looked up to see what looked like car headlights traveling through the clouds. We were absolutely stumped and I can say that the game took a back seat. That is until I asked around and found out many small planes have running or landing lights that look just like a car's headlights. Now that said, I don't believe those small planes also have lights that resemble taillights. I frankly don't see the need for them. But then again, I learn new things every day. So it's very possible that some plane somewhere has something just like that. Thanks again, John, for taking the time to share. Perhaps someone out there listening saw the exact same thing. And speaking of learning new things, last week I asked you guys to chime in with some names for these pale white humanoid creatures that we keep hearing about. Well, as C, Scott, and Tom, and I guess several others have pointed out, they already have a name, and I just didn't know about it. According to pages like Reddit, these creatures are referred to as pale crawlers, or just crawlers. Here's the definition that they give. A crawler is a commonly seen cryptid with pale skin, long limbs, and a tall, thin body. They are generally seen around 8 feet tall, if standing. There are stories of this creature all throughout America, and it has even inspired modern cultures such as Until Dawn's Wendigo, The Rake, and Slenderman. So now that we have a name that we can attach to this creature, it seems that research should come a bit easier. And I can tell you this much, going through my call library, I can promise you haven't heard the end of the Pale Crawlers. A big thank you to everyone that submitted names. There were some pretty good ones and some pretty funny ones submitted. Now our next story of the evening involves a strange automobile doing strange automobile things. This is Carly's story from the state of Oregon. Hey, my name is Carly. I am from the Pacific Northwest and I just wanted to share a story that happened to a friend and I back in mm, probably 2010. We had driven to this shopping center to to pick up some food. Um, I think it was a safe way, and we pulled into the parking lot. We were kind of in the middle of the parking lot, and the safe way was to the left of us. It was summertime, so it was hot. I think it was probably around June. We'd parked, and we had the windows down. Um, We had been talking for hours already about conspiracy theories, and specifically government conspiracy theories. We were still young, and we were really, really into conspiracy theories. That's what kind of makes the story weird. We'd been sitting in the car for probably about an hour, 
And again, we were really deep into this conversation. And all of a sudden, faintly, in the distance, we both hear the national anthem playing. And we stop, and, and it's freaking us out, obviously, since we had just been talking about this specific subject for so long. The sound started to get closer to us, and it came right in front of us. Um, there's this black town car, like a really nice, shiny black car. The windows were totally 100% blacked out, even the windshield. Um, and the, the music was blasting from this car. And I don't really know how to explain it other than it sounded like there were speakers on the outside of the car. All of the windows were rolled up on the car, and it was so loud, like it was being projected from the outside of the car, almost like it was directed at us. The car drove really slowly behind us, and it took a left turn towards downtown, and we could hear it all the way until they were out of sight. It was so loud, and I remember my friend and I noting that it was nowhere near the 4th of July. I mean, there was no reason, you know, for anybody to be blasting the national anthem, let alone it coming from a coming from a town car that looks like that. But um anyways, the story is just always something that we bring back up and talk about because it it was just too weird to be a coincidence. I mean, it was crazy. Anyways, thanks for listening and um thanks for making the show. I really enjoy it and I actually just got my friend listening, the friend who I had this experience with and um we decided that it would be good to to share a story. So, yeah, anyways, thanks again. Good luck. Thanks, Carly. Now, I grew up in the sticks, and when I first started driving, we all used CB radios in our cars and trucks. Now, you got to remember, this is well before the time that everyone had a cell phone. Well, one of the options on these CB radios was a PA option, or a public address. Essentially, if you mounted a bullhorn-style speaker under the hood of your car, you could communicate loudly with those outside. And if you hold the mic to your speaker, you could even play some music. And Carly said so herself that this was sometime in June. Not all that far from our most patriotic of holidays, the 4th of July. So maybe someone with a similar setup was simply celebrating early, or maybe there was something a little more sinister at play. Either way, thank you so much, Carly, for sharing that call. I have no doubt, no matter the explanation, the experience was probably downright spooky. Well, our next entry is the first of its kind on the show, at least to my knowledge. This is Hector's call from the state of Maryland. Hey, Derek. This is Hector from Maryland. I'm calling today because I guess it's not really like an encounter or anything, but uh, I guess I wanted to know if anyone else has uh, had something similar happen to them or like experience it. But um, when I was a kid around like five years old or something, I had this very vivid uh, like memory of um, I think I was climbing in a tree and... uh, I just jumped off of that tree 
and started flying over my the apartment complex that I lived at. And well, I guess what's really crazy about it and why it really sticks in my mind is because as I was flying over the place, uh, I saw everything. Like, I don't know, man. I, like it's, it's like I was a GPS satellite kind of deal. I saw everything from a bird's eye view, exactly where, where it was. And this was like around 2000. So I, I grew up poor. I didn't have a computer or internet until like I was 12. And it looked exactly like if I were to have gone to Google Maps and searched up this apartment complex, it, it, it looked exactly like that. I saw all the complex buildings and then the pool, community pool in the middle. And um, ever since then, I, if it's never happened again. I guess why it, it sticks in my mind, aside from how vivid it was, is because it makes me a little sad, man. Like, uh, like I lost my magic or something. But yeah, it's really, really short, really quick, and maybe not like spooky or cryptid related. But I don't know. Just thought I, I just wanted to share that, and this is like probably the best outlet out there. So thanks again for your time, and thanks for doing what you do man i absolutely love your show and i listen to it every day all right thanks thanks hector this story puts me in mind of a phenomenon known as remote viewing it's the practice of seeking impressions about distant or unseen targets reportedly using extrasensory perception or esp and readers and filmgoers may remember a movie and a book of the same title that explored the true story of the U.S. government's experiments with remote viewing. Of course, I'm referring to The Men Who Stare at Goats by John Ronson. Now, perhaps Hector should have been given an audition with this infamous program that some say never really truly ended, despite the military's claim that it did years and years ago. So thank you again, Hector, for allowing us to cover some new ground. Now, I have several more stories to share with you guys, but quickly, let's cover this first. I'm still looking for first responders' submissions and stories for the next installment of Hometown Legends. So if you are sitting on one of these golden eggs, please give the hotline a call. And I might as well add that I'm still looking for stories about the Anza Borrego region of Southern California. The outskirts of that area are also of high interest. So call those bad boys in as soon as you can. And remember to announce early in the call that this is either for the first responder, hometown legends, or Anza Borrego calls. Be sure to follow the show on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and two separate accounts on Facebook, the open group and the closed group. Get yourself some Monsters Among Us gear for the holidays. Simply visit monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop to pick up a shirt, hat, mug, sticker, and much, much more. All right. I think that's enough of all those. Let's get on with the show. Our next submission is not really a submission at all. The following short story was submitted to the Facebook group by a man named Dave, and it involves something he saw two nights ago. Tonight, my friend and I saw a strange object in the sky while driving to New York City for work. We saw what looked like a meteor with 
a black smoke-like trail. As we drove closer, it looked like a long, thin, cigar-shaped black object with a black smoke trail. Then it completely changed the direction it was traveling and headed faster in a different direction. As we passed over the Brooklyn Bridge, we saw it heading towards two more of the same objects. I originally thought Meteor because of the black smoke trail, but it changing directions doesn't seem to make sense. There were no lights on these objects at all, and there were planes in the sky, and on all of them you were able to see their headlights and the red and green running lights. It freaked both of us out. We couldn't think of any logical explanation. Does anyone have any ideas what this could have been? Dave. Well, thank you, Dave. And the reason I decided to share this is because this isn't the first black UFO that I've had reported from that area. In fact, Joe has seen and reported something eerily similar from nearby New Jersey. Hi, Joe from Jersey here. I have a couple of stories, but this one in particular has always sat with me. I would say it happened about four years ago out in Long Island. I was in Hampton Bays. It was about 11 o'clock at night. I went down to the jetty, absolutely clear night. I went down there to look at the stars out there. You could see countless. As I was sitting in my car, looking you know, through the sunroof, through all the windows, out over the east end, I see, contrast to all the stars, a more black mass in the sky. And it was blocking out all the stars, but it matched the blackness behind them. As I sat there, I was the only person there. There's the occasional person driving through, making a U-turn. Other than that, I was the only one. And as I sat there watching it, it slowly came westward. I looked up, and it was massive. It was a massive, massive, either rectangle or triangle. It was very hard to see all the edges, but from what you could see, they were very sharp, angular edges. And as it passed over my car, it did not make a sound. I was just shocked. Um, after a while, it, I, it passed, and I, I just was like, okay, time to go home. I went home, thought about it, and I don't know, to me, it seemed it would maybe be something cloaked in a way. I don't know. Either way, it has always stuck with me. Love the podcast. Hope anyone who has ever seen or experienced anything like this would like to chime in and let me know their story, too. Thank you, Joe. I'm certainly not sure what you guys saw, but perhaps someone out there listening can shed some light on this dark object. So if you've seen something like this, or anything else you'd label as paranormal, give the hotline a call at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or visit the website for more submission options. Thank you again, Joe, for sharing that story. Hopefully someone can get to the bottom of what's going on here. Our next story of the evening takes us to my state and my neck of the woods. The following is Justin's story from the state of California. Hi, Derek. This is Justin from Southern California. I've lived in Southern California since I was about eight years old, and uh, my dad, about three years ago, moved to this town called Idlewild. It's actually in the San Bernardino uh, mountain range near where you are, very close to where you are. 
and it's called Idlewild. Idlewild is this very small kind of pioneerish town hidden up in the mountains. It's a kind of a, a secret celebrity getaway, if you will. Elvis and and Dolly Parton and people like that are very known for having houses up there. Anyway, this town was started in the 40s and 50s. There was only five or six, seven people who lived up there. It's an extremely small settlement. And uh, since then, there's been this story of the uh, Indian who uh, was cursed on the mountain. He was cursed to stay there, and they believe they took him up to the top of the uh, mountain peak, and he was banished to stay up there for eternity. And that's the legend of Idlewild. And my father owns a bakery right up on that mountain, and he has to get in there as early as 3 in the morning, 2 in the morning, start making his uh, baked goods because they're all made from scratch and whatnot. It's called the town baker. He's a very, very stern person. He, he's never been one to lie. But, you know, waking up at 2 in the morning, you might have some experiences that aren't exactly, you know, real. You're a little, you're a little loopy at 2 in the morning. But he's told me things that scared the crap out of him. Like uh, one time he was making some baked goods and he heard a deep voice say, get out. And uh, another time when he came in, there's a bathroom on the back porch of the bakery he, he owned. And uh, one time he was going in and he saw someone walk into the bakery and he said it, it was like a black outline, you know, two in the morning, it's pitch black. And all he saw was like this feathery, he said it looked like they had a huge head, almost like it was protruding back, almost like how you'd think a, a, a Indian with feathers would look, you know, on their head. He saw the outline of that. It walked into the bathroom at two in the morning and he said it scared the out of him. And uh, he walked in the bathroom and no one was there. And then that other time, when, you know, that deep voice that said, get out, it, it really scared him. And I'm not the best storyteller, so maybe it's better you can just talk this out or mention it. But, um, yeah, I really think you should check out Idlewild or look up the, the strange things that happen up there. Because this Indian is known to travel from business to business, you know, throw things off shelves. And I've been in the bakery one time helping them... Um, bring in supplies at like, you know, they come up, up from the bottom of the hill bringing up uh, food and sometimes we have to load the place up at 11 o'clock at night whenever the driver gets up there. And uh, I saw a face in the window once and it was really quick so I'm not 100% sure to this day that I saw it. But like I said, I thought all of this is worth mentioning to you. I know you're close by the area. Anyway, thank you for uh, letting me say something and have a good one, Derek. Thanks, Justin. I did a quick search on the web for Native American ghost stories in the Idlewild area, but it seems I need to do a bit more digging. But what I did find was the story of an infamous creature from that tiny mountain hamlet, a creature known as the Idle Beast. Images of the Idle Beast are not hard to find in Idlewild. He is celebrated on t-shirts, street signs, and posters. Finding the beast himself is a much trickier task. One man has dedicated his life to research, education, and idle speculation. I'm the director of the Idle Beast Research Center. The Idle Beast Research Center is in downtown Idlewild. The beast himself has been spotted all over town, 
but few can agree on what kind of animal the beast really is, or if he really exists at all. Some say there is a population of these giant hominids living in these mountains since the beginning of time. Others say it's a misidentified bear or coyote. Some say it's a hoax, a man in a fursuit. Others say it's a projection of the collective unconscious, that if it didn't exist, we would imagine it because we need to have a reminder of our kinship to the natural world. The people of Idlewild are by and large very connected to the natural world, and many of the locals are quite used to being visited by the idol beast. I didn't even know he was on the deck uh, the first couple of times he was there. You know, we get a lot of strange people here anyway. Um. Cafe Aroma waitress Shanae Akins-Johnson was quite frightened the first time she encountered the shadowy beast looking for food on the deck, but he was gone as soon as she could react. Really big, furry, covered in hair from head to toe, and just looks like, almost like a big shadow. You can't like really see him. David Jerome never discounts anyone's sighting of the idol beast, especially at a cafe. A lot of the restaurants do have really good food here, yeah, so it's quite likely. Oh, I've had to 86 him twice, and that was not an easy feat either. He doesn't even speak English. Um, um, people were nervous having him around. Um, he does sometimes pick up a bar tab for, for an occasional guest anonymously, and I have heard that he's offered to ride people home that have over-imbibed here late at night um, on his back, I guess. I, I don't think he really drives. Kenny Allen drove his motorcycle up the mountain in search of the beast he's heard so many stories about. That he's wild. It's a maniac, party animal. This maniac loves music. You can catch a glimpse of him rocking out to Idlewild's American Idol, Casey Abrams. Like Abrams, the Idol Beast has helped elevate this small mountain town's profile. But overall, it's, it's I mean, in the end, it's been kind of a positive experience for us. I, I, I worry about him. He does spend a lot of time alone. I know that. We may never know how the Beast really feels. I understand the Idol Beast has been known to hand out candy on Halloween night as well. So if you see him out there, don't run away. Just open up your bag. That clip comes courtesy of CBS News 2, out of the Palm Springs area. Now, I feel it's important for me to note that the idol beast is a tongue-in-cheek concept, no doubt dreamt up to attract a few extra tourists from down the hill. But there may be a kernel of truth after all. As David Flora and I have been researching our upcoming documentary that takes place very near that same area, we've begun to realize that Bigfoot sightings are far from rare in that locale. In fact, in the 1960s and 70s, they happened more often than you would think. But you'll hear a lot more about that once you see the documentary. Thank you again, Justin, for sharing. I really need to make my way up there. So our next clip is that of the ghostly variety, but not necessarily of the spooky flavor. This is Chloe's call from Parts Unknown. Hi, Derek. It's Chloe. I've called in a few times, and I'm sure I'll call in more. I've had quite a lot of bizarre experiences and things that I've seen over the years. I think some people just tend to attract them, or maybe they're more open to them. I was listening to season five, I think episode three, and um, a few people detailed some experiences where their loved ones had seen some um, other loved ones that had passed as they were passing kind of as an escort to escort them to heaven or the other side. It made me remember that when my great-grandmother was dying, she did something similar. I think it was, let's see, I was only about 16 or 17, so it must have been 2012, 2013. 
I think it was the summer of 2012. Her husband had passed the summer previous, and in the winter after he passed, she was diagnosed with aggressive pancreatic cancer, uh, and she declined rather quickly to the point where she was bedridden by early 2012, around March or April, I think. And in the past, she had never had any, you know, she, she didn't hallucinate, she didn't have any dementia or Alzheimer's or anything like that. She was very aware, you know, she she wasn't out of sorts at all. She was always very grounded and aware of her situation. But as she got closer to, to the day she would die, she got weaker and weaker. You know, she would have, we would go and visit her. At this point, she was living with my great aunt. And a few days before she died, she started, you know, she would look across the room like she, and, and we thought maybe she was seeing photographs or something, but she would stare across the room and she would say, oh, who is that? Is that, you know, so-and-so? And she would name one of her uncles or her brothers that had passed on. And we'd say, no, no, there's nobody there, Nama. You know, she's, it just kind of continued on. And I believe she actually named a few people that she didn't know had passed. So in other words, like they were dead, but she had no way of knowing that at the time uh, because they had passed in other states or, you know, et cetera. So it was a little strange and I didn't realize that it was a common occurrence. You know, my, my mom said, oh, she must just be seeing a picture or she must just be thinking of someone. But the more and more I listened and the more I asked other people about it, the more I came to realize that this is a pretty common occurrence. So... Just thought I'd share that if anybody else has had a relative do that. I think sometimes when it's time for us to pass on, people that have passed before us come to kind of make the transition a little bit easier, so to speak. I don't know. Maybe there's a scientific explanation for this, but I've never heard one. So uh, love the podcast. Thanks again, and uh, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, Chloe. Countless stories like yours have been told over the years all claiming something unexplainable took place. The funny thing about this mystery is that it too, just like the first two calls of this evening, will be explained. At some point, each and every one of us will draw our final breath. And only then will the truth fully be revealed to us. Until that day, though, keep those experiences coming. And thank you again, Chloe. Now, before we reach the end of the episode, I have a few people that I need to thank. Addie, Warren, Tony, Sarah, and John. Thank you guys so much for your generosity. A giant box of Bigfoot carvings was dropped on my doorstep. I'll tell you what, I couldn't be happier. So thank you guys so much for thinking of me. It truly means a lot. All right. Our next story is something straight out of a horror film. The following is Jeremy's call from the road. Hi, Derek. My name is Jeremy, and I'm from Encinitas, California. I love your show, and this is the first time I'm calling. You were asking for trucker or highway shows, and I I don't know if this qualifies, but I think you'll find it interesting. Uh, So back in August of 06, my family moved from Arizona to North Carolina, and a friend of mine from high school and his wife actually helped us move. 
Uh, my wife had been pregnant with our second child, so uh, she and my friend's wife flew out to North Carolina, while my friend Robert and I drove a 26-foot rental truck towing our car on a trailer behind it. We made the trip in about five days, uh, driving maybe 12 to 16 hours a day, switching off driving every time we filled up for gas. So from the Phoenix area, uh, we headed north to Flagstaff, and then we took I-40 the rest of the way. Uh, towards the end of our trip, we were still on I-40, going through Arkansas. And then early in the evening, just before dark, we hit kind of like a really heavy rainstorm. Had to pull over to the shoulder until the rain passed, because it was like zero visibility. Uh, anyway, so we waited for a while for the rain to lift up enough for us to see the road. And then we started our elevation gain into the Ozarks. Within about an hour of that, we had about a quarter tank of gas left and decided to pull off at the next gas station we saw. And just after 9 p.m. or so, we, we took one exit and it had been drizzling when we pulled up to the pump. Uh, the rain just kind of stopped as soon as we got out of the vehicle. Uh, there were some tall trees surrounding the gas station, just about every direction you could see. I remember thinking how quiet it was it was, too. It was just kind of eerie. Uh, you couldn't hear any bugs or animal noises like you would expect to in the forest. And the only thing I can really recall was hearing dripping water, you know, from the roof and maybe off of the uh, trailer. So I got out of the driver's seat. My friend Robert walks out to the, you know, around the side and goes in to get snacks and drinks and things like that. At that point, I, I was just kind of happy to be standing. He asked if I wanted anything, so I basically said, you know, give, give me some nachos or a corn dog or anything that was, you know, sitting on a heat lamp for less than two days and maybe something to drink like a Gatorade. So he walks into the store while I start pumping gas and I'm standing there stretching my arms and legs. I notice he's kind of pacing back and forth. Evidently, he couldn't uh, find anybody because he yelled, hey, nobody's here, dude. Um, he has arms, arms full of uh, snacks and things. So I kind of joked around and said, hey, I guess it's all free then. And he goes back inside and he kind of plops everything on the counter and disappears. I kind of lean back against the truck and I hear this voice right next to me. I mean, it was it was so close to me that it startled me. He just says, can I help you boys? And like this really thick southern accent. And I, jumped up, I basically jumped out of my skin. I was getting nervous kind of talking about it because it, it, it's still giving me goosebumps. So... You know, I, I turn around and I look at this guy, and he, he's an older guy, really uncomfortably close to me. Like, you know, I have kind of a personal space bubble, and he is definitely within that. Um, I have no idea how he got so close to me without me seeing him approaching. The tank I was filling up was just behind the cab, and it was about 20 feet of truck to my left and another 20 feet of trailer. So I had kind of like an unobstructed view, minus the, you know, the pump next to me. So you know, I, don't, I couldn't understand how this guy got so close to me without me seeing him. He was kind of an older guy, maybe mid-60s, with really pale skin. Uh, he had a really long white beard, and he wore overalls with some... It looked like just worn holes in them. And I remember he had a, this gray and blue plaid shirt. I kept looking at, at the length of his beard over his shirt. It kind of looked like he stepped out of a Western movie. So I just stood there, and he stared at me waiting for me to respond. And I asked him, you know, hey, maybe you can ring my friend up at the register. I thought maybe he worked there. But he didn't say anything or, or do anything else. He just stood there staring at me. He didn't look mad or, or happy or anything. It was kind of expressionless. So after a moment, I 
I asked him, you know, hey, are you okay? And he didn't respond. And by this time, I was kind of glancing at the pump to just see, you know, how many gallons had gone into the tank because he was kind of creeping me out. The guy just turned around and started walking away. So I remember looking around for other vehicles, and I, I really didn't see anybody around. I just kind of watched him walk away. And it was really odd because he walked past the left of the, the gas station building, and then he walked across the freeway off-ramp and straight into the woods. I mean, I, I, I don't remember seeing any homes or buildings or anything back there. He just walked into the darkness. As soon as he was out of sight, it started raining again, which was another thing that kind of creeped me out. Then my friend Robert came running out of the store to try to make the cover before he got soaked. And he acted like he didn't even see the guy. He, he started just handing, handing me this kind of disgusting-looking hot dog and some mustard packets. So I asked him if he saw him, and unfortunately he didn't. <laughs> so at that point, I'm like trying to get my mind off of this guy. I just kind of started asking him, like, hey, did you walk these out? Or did you walk out with these, you know, without paying? He's like, no, the, the guy at the counter was dropping a deuce when I first went in, so... He must have heard me. Apparently, the guy opened the bathroom door while he was sitting on the toilet and told him he'd be there in a minute. So he was kind of laughing when he told me the guy did that. And, you know, he was making jokes about maybe he didn't wash his hands and he put his hands all over my hot dog. Just kind of being the douche that he is, but, but he's a good guy. Anyway, so after the tank was full, I, I waited till we were well on the road, on our way on the road and, and basically asked him if he, you know, one more time if he saw the guy. He's like, no, dude, I, I didn't see anybody. So I told him about what happened. I, I was obviously kind of freaked out. He didn't say he didn't believe me, but, you know, he didn't make fun of me at least. So we decided to drive a couple more hours before actually getting to a rest stop and, you know, getting a few hours of sleep. But that's my story. Very strange. This happened in the Ozarks uh, of all places. I've never been back there. Never want to be. Thanks for your show, man. It's it's a great show, and I enjoy it quite a bit. Have a good one. Thank you, Jeremy. I've seen this character in so many horror films. Friday the 13th, Urban Legend, and probably most recently, Cabin in the Woods. But this isn't a movie. This is real life. This really happened. So was this guy joking around, playing a prank? Was he mentally disturbed? Did he have dementia, Alzheimer's, something like that? Or was he just an odd duck? Whatever the answer, it goes without saying. This guy is, in fact, a member of the scariest group of monsters on the planet, the human race. I don't know about you guys, but to me, that group is downright terrifying. Thanks again, Jeremy, for sharing that very creepy encounter. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Addie Lloyd, Warren Pon Abbott, and Tony Bell. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And the music you're hearing, that's co.ag. Thank you all for listening. And until next week.
Oh, hello there. You've stumbled upon the secret part of Monsters Among Us. And tonight, I have a call to share with you guys. The following was submitted to us from the state of Minnesota. This is Beating Story. Hi, Derek. This is Beating. I'd like to tell you an encounter that I had um, back in 2004. I was going grouse hunting on my family's uh, homestead property up here in uh, northern Minnesota. I parked my car in in the field up to the trailhead, and it was a nice, beautiful, sunny day. had my uh, single-shot shotgun with a couple of shells, and I walked about a half mile, three-quarter mile down the trail. And as I'm walking down the trail, I start to get all tingly and uh, feel like somebody's watching me. So I start scanning around the, the trees. And as I'm walking and looking, I see behind a big tree about 100 yards, maybe 75, 100 yards away from me, like hairy arms and fingers wrapped around a tree. So I start looking closer, trying to get a better look. And I see about seven feet there where those arms are, a hairy head pokes out and looks at me. And I just took off running to my car as fast as I could. You know, it was so scary. I was never been that scared before. And I just hopped in my car and got out of there. I <laughs> uh, love the podcast. Uh, hopefully you can use the call. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Beanie. This certainly sounds like Sasquatch behavior that's been reported over the years. The phenomenon known as tree peeking, where essentially they pick a large tree to hide behind and slowly poke their head, hands, out to have a look. Now, I don't believe Minnesota is a huge Bigfoot hotspot, but I have heard a handful of encounters come out of the state. So beating, you're certainly not alone. Thank you again for taking the time to share that story, and thank you for sticking around to the end of the program. Have a great night.